is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go. Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Eve. Well, some people are taking him number one overall, but Le'Veon Bell has never scored double-digit rushing touchdowns in a season. We're putting him under the microscope today for the first time, we think. Welcome everybody, Adam Azer and Jamie Eisenberg here debating, have we done this yet with Le'Veon Bell? I don't think we did, Jamie. I think we're in the clear. Sure. <laughs> I mean, listen, you are the guru of planning shows. Yeah, something um, like that. As we had this conversation once before, I will share it with you again since you are probably remembering it for the first time. Since I know you spoke to Scott Fish recently. Yeah. He was so impressed by how you host your shows that when I met him in Minnesota, I showed him your notes. Right. I gave him a peek behind the curtain, and he was like, oh, my God, because of how much preparation you do and how in-depth you go with your notes. You got you to gotta, uh, you gotta put the time in, man. That's what so if you about. don't know what our show format or show history has been, we're screwed because we depend on you. Oh, well, I that is not true. There have been many shows without me. And they've been just fine. But yeah, man, that's Well, those, those gotta, are actually the ones the that we submit for awards, but yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> and that's why we don't win. Uh, speaking of which, podcastawards.com. <laughs> Please nominate us. Podcastawards.com. I'll tell you about that in a second. So I'm Adam. He's Jamie. Jamie is actually, and this is another reason why we have a good show. Jamie is working on his day off today. Jamie is taking a little vacation time, but nobody else is in. So Jamie said, I will hop on the podcast with you. We're going to talk upside and downside for three wide receivers who are ranked very similarly in Jamie's rankings. We're going to uh, read your emails, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Listen to some voicemails at 954-689-3199, 954-689-3199. We're going to put, like I said, Le'Veon Bell under the microscope, and I ask people, who's the next Todd Gurley? And guess what? The fantasy regulators are coming on the show a little bit later, so get excited about that. We also have the most absurd list of all time being published on nfl.com. What, what are the fantasy regulators? So you haven't been here for the Fantasy Regulators. We answer commissioner questions with the Warren G featuring Nate Dogg Regulate song on in the background. And we groove. You like it? Sure. It's a big hit so far. All right, Jamie. Until you, until you get sued for copyright for now. Nah, nah, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> which of these three wide receivers has the most upside? Is it Demarius Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, or Allen Robinson? Who has the most upside? Demarius Thomas, Juju, or Allen Robinson? Juju. That is what the Twitter folks say. 1,300 votes. Juju has 43%. Allen Robinson has 41% right now. So very, very close. Juju slightly more upside than Allen Robinson. That that would have been your answer, huh? It's not how, how I have it ranked. But, I mean, we saw what he could be if Antonio Brown gets hurt. And I think that is a level that is where you hope Allen Robinson will be because he's the number one guy in that offense. But if if Brown, for whatever misses time, for whatever reason misses time, Smith-Schuster was a beast last season when Brown was out, and he was really he was awesome. The one game Martavis Bryant was out too. Yeah, he was uh, double-digit fantasy points in non-PPR in all three games without Antonio Brown, and uh, yeah, one game. Oh, I don't remember what exactly was the one game without Bryant, but yes, he was great. It was the game that Bryant was suspended by the Steelers uh, against the Lions. I don't have the stats there. Oh, that was a huge game for him. Monster game, yep. 
Yeah. So, uh, Juju is, uh, who's, so how do you rank those three? Robinson, Thomas, Smith-Schuster, I believe. Robinson, Thomas, and Juju Smith-Schuster. All right. Who has the most downside? Demarius, Juju, or Allen Robinson? I guess it's probably Thomas. Let's see what the Twitter people said. They said, Demarius Thomas, 2% more vote than Allen Robinson. This one was close. 39% for Demarius, 24% for Juju, 37% for Allen Robinson. So Demarius squeaks by winning the downside polls so far, which could change. Still going to be up for a little while. My fear with Thomas is that he gets overdrafted because of the new quarterback. Yeah. Like all of a sudden he's back, and I hope that's the case. Because we've seen what he could do when he's had good quarterback play, which obviously was Peyton Manning. Uh, but the last couple of years have been bad for him. Um, not that he's cr- crushed your fantasy team because he's still put up competent numbers, but not to where he was being drafted, you know, the last couple of years as a second and third round pick. Uh, I, I think, you know, second round 2016, third round 2017. But, you know, I, I just fear that Keenum's arrival will sort of push back expectations and he's getting older and they just drafted two receivers. And I think that they'll be a little bit more committed to the run. So I just I just hope that he's in that range of where Smith Schuster and, and Robinson will go and not really necessarily ahead of them. So Demarius Thomas, let's take a look at what he's done over the last five fantasy seasons and where he's finished. Two thousand twelve through fourteen actually this is the last six seasons. Twelve through fourteen. Uh Demarius was a top five wide receiver. He was number one once. He was number two once. He was number four or five in 2012. He was 1,400 yards or more every year, double-digit touchdowns every year. He had a season, Demarius Thomas, with 1,600 yards and 11 touchdowns when he led the NFL in targets. 2015, still top 12. 12th in non-PPR, 9th in PPR. 2016, he fell to 16th in both PPR and non-PPR, but he had 90 catches. He only had five touchdowns. Last year, got even worse. 23rd in non-PPR, 16th in PPR, uh, he had 83 catches, 949 yards, and five touchdowns on 141 targets. Career low, 11.4 yards per carry. So it's gotten catch. worse per yeah, per catch. It's gotten worse and worse for Demarius Thomas, and the quarterback situation has gotten worse and worse. So I guess the question is, well, why can't he? Like he's gotten 141 or more targets six straight seasons. Why can't he be awesome again? They obviously have been dreadful at quarterback over the last couple seasons. Why not, Jamie? Oh, I, I think he can. It's just a matter of what the expectations are because, you know, we're talking about a guy in Keenum last year's first time he's played 16 games. Can he do what he did in Minnesota again, you know, for a full season where he clearly, uh, I, I know you can sort of nitpick how good Thielen and Diggs were, uh, based on their, their numbers respectively, but uh, clearly, he supported those two guys to play at a at a at a, at a good level, if not a great level. Um, and I think just you know, the thought would be is if you're a Thomas guy, if you, if you think he has a chance to bounce back, you're going to say, okay, best quarterback he's had since Peyton. Now he has a chance to put up those numbers again. But he's been older. He's battled a hip injury over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I think you'll see Emmanuel Sanders have a little bit of a resurgence as well. You know, where he was relatively bad. I also think that they will, for the first time, maybe since Thomas and Sanders have gotten together, have better complementary options with whether it's Sutton or Hamilton, the two guys that they drafted this year. Sutton would be the one I think you have to be the most optimistic about. And I also think that Jake Butt 
if he's healthy, has a chance to, to be a player for them uh, and help out that tight end position, which hasn't been the same since Julius Thomas left. But you also have to look at the run game. You know, Royce Freeman is somebody that they're high on, um, whether it's him or Booker. You know, both those guys I think are going to, you know, get their, their opportunity to get some touches. I, I would anticipate it being Freeman. But I just think it'll be a more diverse offense instead of just Thomas and Sanders carrying the load like they did when Peyton Manning was great. You think Thomas gets 141 targets again? I take the under, not not by much, you know, probably 130, 125, 130 in that range. Okay. But I I I think he's more of a mid to back end number two guy than he is more of a high end two number one guy. Again, I hope I'm wrong because he's been nah, great. You don't but, hope you're wrong. Why no, would you I hope do. you're wrong? I mean, because I I I, I like Demarius Thomas. I, I've gotten a chance to talk to him quite a few times, you know. So I think he's you know Aww. a good player and, and and certainly can put up great stats. Last thing on this topic, Jamie, how much does this mean to you? I want to talk about Allen Robinson now. Transition over to him. I looked at the last 10 years of an Andy Reid offense, which you think the Bears would run with Matt Nagy as their head coach. At least it'd be similar. And how many how many number one wide receivers have had big years in an Andy Reid offense? There have been some good ones. Last year was probably the best one with, uh, with Tyreek Hill getting over 1,100 yards. In the last 10 years for the Eagles and the Chiefs, there have only been two instances of an 1,100-yard wide receiver. Uh, there has been, uh, Travis Kelsey got very close or maybe had that two years ago. But it hasn't been an offense that's had like majorly amazing w- number one wide receivers. Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, Tyree Kill, they've been very, very good. They haven't been, you know, incredible fantasy options. Does that matter at all for you? Cause, because we have seen a 1400 yard season from Allen Robinson just three seasons ago. Yeah, I mean, you could say probably pedigree, he might be the best. You know, Tyreek Hill was a different type of receiver. Yeah, yeah. Um, Deshaun Jackson, same thing. I, I think, you know, I don't think Robinson's going to be 1,400 yards. I don't think he's going to be, what he scored, your 14 touchdowns? Yes, yes. Um, I, I think he got a, he has a chance to be around 1,000 yards and, and eight touchdowns. Okay. That's you know, kind of where I would sort of ballpark it. Remember, he's still coming back from an ACL injury that – the, the reports this offseason or the latest reports following minicamp and, and OTAs were that he, you know, only started to practice toward the end with the team. So training camp, I think, is going to be big for him. He could be a, you know, a, a, a faller in rankings. You know, myself, Dave Heath, you know, whoever you follow, if if he's not, you know, doing everything in full and, and getting in some preseason games. It's a new quarterback. You know, we're, we're putting a lot of faith in. In Mitchell Trubisky, you know, not just with Robinson, but with Trey Burton and, you know, potentially Anthony Miller if you're taking him late. But I, I think you just look at Robinson when he's right. You know, I, I think the floor is what we saw in 2016 and the ceiling is what we saw in 2015. All right. That's going to wrap up our Twitter poll. And, you know, now during this time of year, it's a bit of a dead zone in NFL news. There's not much going on. So I like to on these shows talk longer about fewer players because once the season gets closer, I find that you know, I'm always in a, not a, kind of a rush to talk about a lot of players and we don't get to spend as much time. So I like on these shows we get to expand a little bit, kick, kick our, kick our heels up, relax, talk about these guys in depth. And that's what we're going to do today with Le'Veon Bell. Um, also I'm going to, I'm going to discuss three draft strategies this week and get your thoughts on them. We'll talk about draft strategy number one as we talk about Todd Gurley today. Uh, a few quick notes here. Please vote for us on podcastawards.com. You can go there. I think you just have to use an email address and create a password, but it's really easy. Podcastawards, plural.com. We're in the sports and recreation category, 
and we're in the people's choice category. Just nominate us, Fantasy Football Today. That would be very much appreciated. And a note about the voicemails. Uh, thank you very much for leaving them. 954-689-3199. Very nice of you. Uh, I don't have the opportunity to respond to them, so if I don't play them on the air, you're not going to get your an- your question answered. So a lot of times, you know, I'd like to say, hey, thanks for the nice comment or something, and I don't get a chance. Uh, a lot of times I determine who, who gets on based on sound quality. Sometimes the voicemails are choppy and I can't use them. Uh, shout out to Oreo Salad on Twitter for leaving your voicemail. I'm not going to get to it on today's show, but I heard it. And thank you, dedicated listener, dedicated tweeter. Anyway, it means a lot that you guys take your time to leave those voicemails or to write your emails. I wish I could respond to all of them, uh, but it's just not possible. Jamie, the most absurd list of all time has been published. Gil Brandt of NFL.com ranked the top wide receivers of all time, and he has Calvin Johnson 18th, 18th overall. Whoa, what? No, stupid, terrible. Sorry, Gil Brandt. You're a brilliant person. You know a lot more about football than I ever do, but you are wrong on this one. Calvin Johnson <laughs> is number two, maybe number three of all time. I think you're both probably wrong, no. but I think he's probably a little bit closer to uh, being wrong than you are. He's wronger um, than I, I am. Calvin is definitely a top ten receiver. As he um, as he noted himself, as Gilbrandt noted himself, Calvin Johnson is third all time in yards per game. So he's just being penalized for longevity. But man, he was the most dominant player of his era for sure. Don't most dominant wide receiver. Uh, he's amazing. He's number he's number two. He's not better than Moss or Rice. He's not better than Rice. He's better than Moss. No, he's not. Per game, he's better than Moss. No, he's not. I mean, I think the stats bear it out. I'm pretty sure they do. Well, Randy Moss took time, took plays off. <laughs> I don't think he's better than Tio. He's better than Tio. No. I mean, I was surprised Andre Johnson was ahead of Calvin Johnson. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. Yeah, that was, that was very surprising. All right, Gil Brandt. Sorry about that. I hope we can be friends. Jamie, you had a chance to talk to Travis Kelsey and Mark Ingram today. So that was awesome, but. Let me get your quick thoughts on the Packers running back situation. We did talk about it with the Heath and Scott Fish last week, but you wrote a story about it on the website on cbssports.com slash fantasy. What's your thoughts on Aaron Jones' two-game suspension and what it means? I mean, clearly it helps Jamal Williams because he's going to you know, get the chance to be the you know workhorse type of guy early on. You know, It's almost like what's going on with the Saints running backs, which you know ties into talking about Ingram. But... I think, you know, Williams now puts himself in that round five, six range, you know, where he was probably being drafted too soon. I know Dave was taking him in that spot, and I thought that was too soon, given the fact that Aaron Jones was going to compete for the, the starting job. You know, I know you always like to focus on yards per carry. Last year, hey, Jones don't say averaged. that. Don't say that. Well, I mean, you do. You put an emphasis on it. Uh, it's not no, a bad thing. I, I mention it a lot, but I don't want to be the, the guy who pays too much attention to yards per carry. But. No, 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 I don't, it's not a bad thing. Okay, I mean, okay. You know, he, he averaged 5.5. You know, the other two guys in terms of Montgomery and, 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 uh, Jamal Williams were under four. Yes. You know, Williams was at 3.6, but he also was at 3.6 playing the majority of his games without Aaron Rodgers. Right. Aaron Jones had the opportunity to play with Rodgers when Williams and Montgomery first got hurt. So, um, I, I, I think you look at Jones and, you know, his metrics may be better. His, his, uh, you know, peripheral numbers may be a little bit better, but, you know, Williams, I think, is, is probably a little bit more of a complete player and, and has the chance to sort of take hold of the job. So I, I still say the same thing I said all along about these guys before the suspension. There's going to be pockets of the season where all three of them are good. They're great last year, um, you know, the early part of the season. You know, not necessarily from, again, yards per carry or his overall numbers, but uh, I think he had 18 catches through the first four games. So he's going to be involved in that part of the you know process, and then you look at Williams and um, and Jones; they'll they'll sort of cannibalize each other a little bit once Jones is back. But if Williams is playing well and that offense is clicking, 
I don't think you'll see Jones overtake him. So I would still take Williams first. It's the way I always had it. Um, Jones to me is, is now, uh, probably third and Montgomery, especially PPR is, is the second best option. I'm looking at NFL 10 ADP and you can do a date range here. And since Friday, that was the sixth, right? Yeah. Friday till today. I'm surprised by the ADP. Williams is going 82nd overall. Jones is going 98th. And Ty Montgomery is going 114th. I mean, Williams at 80, 82nd overall is very surprising to me. It's a lot lower than I thought. I thought he'd be like in the 60s. For whatever reason, the fantasy community does not like Jamal Williams. I don't understand it. You I know, think it's it, the yards it, per carry, to be honest. It, it it probably is, and it's probably the fact that he's got to share with two other guys, and it could be that you know Aaron Jones had the more explosive, you know, numbers. Um, but you know they trusted Williams more in pass protection. They trusted him more in the passing game, and so I think he could take away from Montgomery in that regard. You know, Mike McCarthy always talks about wanting to be you know sort of keep the offense in flow and not have to rotate guys in and out, bring guys in and out for different situations. Williams does that better than Jones. Yeah. All right. Uh, that'll, we already talked about it on Friday, so, or Thursday, so let's wrap that up. That's the Packers running backs. Let's go on to your, your interviews today with Travis Kelsey and, and Mark Ingram. What'd you learn from them? You know, with, with Kelsey, it was a lot about, um, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, you know, just the, the new quarterback. And he said, you know, they've already thrown together. He's got, you know, he, he's talked about him having that it factor of just being able to, you know, show that he, the thing he said was he, he already walks into the situation feeling like he's, he belongs here. And, you know, I, I like, I, th- I think the point that uh, Travis was trying to make was he's not going to get overwhelmed by the moment. Um, you know, he said it's a learning process. You know, he's learning the Andy Reid offense because, you know, Alex Smith has been there for years. Um, but the one thing he talked about, which I thought was, was interesting was the, uh, the dynamic of the receiving core. He's never had complimentary options around him like this with Tyree Kill coming off the two seasons that he's had, certainly last year. And now Sammy Watkins. Um, you know, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how those three guys work together. Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt Kelsey, you know, very much. Um, but he could lose a few targets. Um, in terms of where he's at right now. So he's working out at, uh, XPE Sports, which is uh, a training facility out of Delray, uh, out of Boca, Boca Raton, Florida. And, um, he said it's the first time, I, I guess in a couple of years, I didn't, I didn't look at this fully, but, uh, that he's battled off season surgeries or is coming off some surgeries from the last couple of off seasons. So I think, you know, he looks in great shape. And if that is the case, you know, that he's healthy from, you know, week one of training camp on, that's a great sign because we know what he's been the last couple of years when maybe he's been less than 100%. But, you know, I, I'm always a big fan of guys that don't just rest on their laurels. It, it's not really the case in today's NFL anymore. These guys do so much from January to July. And, you know, I get a chance to see it quite a bit because I go to places like this. And I'm always impressed by how these guys, uh, you know, just – hone their craft. And, you know, I think for Kelsey, I asked him, you know, do do you feel like you're in that tier now of the best of the best? And, you know, he said, yeah, you know, he feels like he's there with Gronk. You know, he mentioned a lot of the older guys, you know, Jimmy Graham, Greg Olson, uh, Delaney Walker, but you know, he, 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 he feels like, you know, he's, he's there and and I think he's proven it. You you have Gronk number one, right? Mm -hmm. But in a keeper or dynasty league, Kelsey? I think you have to, you know, it just depends on what your mindset is. Uh, I got this question yesterday from uh, a colleague of ours who is in a startup dynasty draft. And oh, he, yeah. I know him. I, he asked me the same thing. I didn't know he was going behind my back. He's been asking me for advice for, with the number two pick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So he asked about, you know, his pick in the second round. And I said, you know, he, the list of guys he gave me, I said, take Gronk and try and win now. Especially with the tight end scoring being what it is in that league where I think it's mm. a point and a half. I told him to take Mixon, I think. Or no, I, mean, I think I told him to take Gronk and Mixon with the two. Yeah, picks. I told him Gronk and McKinnon. Um, oh, you like McKinnon better than Mixon in Dynasty, huh? Well, I, I, I just think in the PPR scoring, I, Mixon to me, uh, McKinnon to me is, has a chance for 70 catches. Okay. Um, and what did Mark Ingram have to say? So Ingram, you know, obviously the, the suspension, you know, he said he was caught off guard. He didn't, you know, he said he hasn't done anything differently from what he's done the last couple of years, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, you know, I wasn't going to press him on this cause that wasn't really the setting for it, but, um, he, uh, the other thing I, you know, I, like I said, I kind of like how players are, you know, the, the ones that take themselves, uh, you know, to hone their craft. I also like it when guys are aware of their situation and I asked them last year, you know, I said from week five on, that's when you took off last year. And he said, yeah, he goes, I really couldn't get anything going in the first four games. He mentioned, you know, Peterson being there. And then, you know, we talked about the suspension happened that when Peterson was, was traded, which was, I, I think going into week six for them, um, that's when Ingram and Camaro really took off. And, you know, Ingram, I like the fact that he's aware of that. You know, he, so he understands that he can still have a great season from week five on. He said he had, you know, uh, which, which I didn't confirm, but, um, you know, over a thousand yards rushing from that, that point forward. So he's, um, you know, uh, about 750 yards away from being the Saints' all-time leading rusher. He said that's important to him, you know, especially going into a contract mm. year where this could be his last year in New Orleans. Interesting. And, uh, you know, and, and he, one thing he talked about, which, again, I like when guys are, are aware of their situations. You know, he he understands that he's an older running back now. Um, and he said, he's like, one thing that's kind of helped me is the system I played in where we've rotated backs every year of my career. And so he he feels a little bit fresher than some guys that are in the same situation that he's been in, you know, five years in, six years in, seven years in. He mentioned that. So I, I think Ingram is still, you know, I got a couple questions on Twitter when I, I mentioned I talked to him that I still think he's worth drafting in that round five, round six range um, because while they brought in a, you know, they have guys, you know, they they drafted Boston Scott, they have Jonathan Williams, they they signed Terrence West. You have to wonder if can Kamara hold up all season if he gets a heavier workload and. Are they just going to go away from Ingram? Um, I, I don't think that will be the case. I feel, I still think if you can manage it correctly, you can have a top tier, easily number two, potentially number one type of running back from week five through week uh, seven. And when, are you, when did you say you want to draft Mark Ingram? In that round five, round six range. I'm not sure he's going to last that long. He it, might not. Yeah. In this same list that I'm looking at on MFL 10. 38th overall, but draft since Friday. Um, you know, I can expand the date range a little bit. We'll go to, uh, another month out, June 6th. When did he get suspended? Before June, right? I think so. Alright, well, since then, yeah, 40, 41st, 42nd overall. So that's middle of the fourth round, early, or third round, or, no, fourth round, sorry. Early to mid fourth round, Mark Ingram's being drafted. And that's, uh, that's all, that's, uh, a little early. Uh, I, I think you know it's once you get past the, the um, Drake, Mixon, Collins group, that's where he should come into play for you. You know, so if you don't want to take the chance on a Darius Geis or a Rashad Penny, if you don't love Jay Ajayi, um, trying to think who else was there in that range. That, that that's basically the group. Yeah, yeah. So that's where Ingram comes into play. Okay. All right, Jamie. Um, draft strategy talk. Okay. Sure. First of all, forgot to mention this. Jamie's working from home today. I know he said he's on vacation, but he's working from home. He doesn't sound quite as good as normal. I, I know that, but he still sounds pretty good. 
Uh, we appreciate it. He doesn't have his normal equipment because he's not working at the office. So if you're wondering about that, that's why. But, you know, he's the man for coming on. Um, okay. So I don't know why. I've just been thinking a lot lately. Every time I have, like, a free moment in my head, I'm thinking about fantasy football and what my draft strategies, strategies are going to be. Truth is, I don't know if strategy is all that important. I mean, like, <laughs> hitting on a player is the most important thing, you know, or, or two players or something. Yeah, Todd Gurley last year, you you probably won or came close to it. So draft strategy number one that, that I'm going to throw out this week is this. Every single pick you make is about upside, and that is it. You only take players who have the potential to finish at the top of their positions, not necessarily number one, but close to it. So I think Leonard Fournette is a lot more upside than Melvin Gordon. I don't think Melvin Gordon is number one running back upside. I think he's more like a number five running back. I'm not saying I would, like as of right now, I'm taking Gordon over Fournette. But if I were to use this strategy, I would take Fournette. Um, I would, I don't think AJ Green is number one wide receiver potential. I do think Devontae Adams does. Or number two or three. I think he has more potential than AJ Green. I would make that pick. Every single pick, at least for a while, is upside oriented. Because you know, you know, the, the basis for this strategy is this. I play a lot of fantasy baseball, obviously. I host the podcast. You got a lot more players in fantasy baseball. It's not one guy carrying your team, typically. Fantasy football really can be one guy mostly uh, could make a huge, huge difference. You know, Ezekiel Elliott the year before, Todd Gurley last year. You get that guy, you're in great shape. So get that guy. Do what you can to get that guy. And draft solely on upside, Jamie. That What do you think about that strategy? Well, I, I'm I'm glad you, you, you do that because I, I know we've had this conversation on air, off air, um, where you for a while you were drafting a lot based on safety and who's the safer pick in the first two rounds specifically my strategy was always try to avoid busts in the first two rounds right which which again isn't necessarily a, a bad way to go either I I think this is an interesting topic for Heath because Heath tends to take guys or at least you know when it comes down to, to some of this and I don't want to speak for him but I just know some of the players over the course of the last couple of years since he's been working with us that their end-of-the-year numbers are good, but the week-to-week numbers may not be so great. Like the conversations we've had about Larry Fitzgerald over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. You know, where at the end of the year he finishes with amazing numbers or, or, or good numbers. But sometimes the week-to-week consistency where is is a little bit lost where, you know, you may have taken somebody with more upside in that. In that particular Doug range, Baldwin, which is why, right? Doug Baldwin is the sure, poster perfect, child perfect, for perfect that. example. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because Heath's also a Doug Baldwin guy. But yeah. um, I, I think like if if you're looking at like he, when you were started talking about this, like his, I'm thinking of some of the guys he he likes, like Richard Matthews, for example, who may not be great, but he likes him better than Corey Davis. Where to me, Corey Davis has much more upside. Yeah. And so if I'm taking the two Titans receivers, I would much rather have Corey Davis in this scenario. Now, if we get to a point in the draft. I'll take Rashard Matthews four, but I don't necessarily want to draft a guy's floor. I want to draft a guy's ceiling. And I think that's what you're talking about here, which I totally agree with. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, why, it's why going back to last year, why I was hammering home, take Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. 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 If, if the suspension was reduced, you have potentially the best fantasy running back. And so it's, it's, it's all, I'll always lean that way. And I'll always tell people to lean that way. That's just the way I approach it. So that leads me to this question, which I asked people on Twitter: Who is this year's Todd Gurley? Some of the, and I had one in my mind. I had kind of a sneaky one in my mind, but uh, some some of the suggestions 
are Jarek McKinnon. Well, I think before you, you get there, you should explain what you're talking about because I don't necessarily know exactly what you meant. Yeah, and I, honestly, I, 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 assumed, I assumed it was who's going in the maybe second or third round that could be the best running back in football. I think I left it open to interpretation, but yeah, I wasn't – like some people said like David Johnson I got – I'm not talking about top five, top seven picks or anything like that. I'm talking about, yeah, who's going outside the top 20, let's say, and has the potential to be the best player in fantasy or the – the biggest steal in the draft or, you know, the draft MVP, because even though Todd Gurley was a top, you know, probably taken around 25th overall, he still was probably the best pick in the draft. Uh, he was just that good. So oh, by far. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, look, there, obviously there were guys who were taken a lot later that had great seasons like Tyreek Hill, and I'm, I'm not blanking right now, but, you know, you know what I mean. But still, Gurley was, Gurley was on another level. Um, Jarek McKinnon, Joe Mixon. I think everybody's sort of feel that that running back in that same round, same range. Um, Dalvin you're talking, Cook. You're talking non PPR, PPR. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. I, a couple people said Dalvin Cook, but he's going too early. So there were there were a few votes for for Joe Mixon. The guy that I thought uh, kind of fit this criteria is Jordan Howard, and I think I brought this up fairly recently. But really, really impressive rookie year. Pretty uh, disappointing sophomore year, even though Howard, I believe, finished as a top 12 running back. Now we got a new offensive coordinator. And can he go back and kind of surprise us and be amazing again? He doesn't have as much upside as Gurley. No question. But um, Jordan Howard, Jarek McKinnon, Joe Mixon were three answers that I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, Alex Collins as well. So I guess, Jamie, the question is, oh, Derek Henry's in there too. That was an answer. That That, you know... Once we get to about the beginning of round three in a 12-team league, 24th, 25th overall, the running backs that are going in that range kind of dominated these answers. Who do you think has the best chance to be this year's Todd Gurley? Henry was the one I was thinking about before you mentioned his name. Um, but I, I think the one thing to you know sort of look at, and, and this is, again, something you harp, harp on quite a bit, along with your love for yards per carry, <laughs> is um, uh, what's his role in the passing game? Yeah. Because that really is what I think – Helped Gurley take even more of a step than maybe he would have was how much he was involved as a receiver. And I, I know just from, I spoke to him twice, you know, at the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. And in both those conversations, and then also talking to Le'Veon Bell about Todd Gurley, you know, that was something that was brought up from each of them was what his role was as a pass catcher. So I don't think you're going to get that from Henry. I don't think you're going to get that from Collins per se. But the other two guys you talked about, I mean, I, you just heard me say a few minutes ago, I think McKinnon could be a 70-catch guy. I don't think that that would be a stretch in the Kyle Shanahan offense. Um, and Mixon, you know, for as much as Giovanni Bernard is there, he's got – you think he had 38 catches last year? You know, he was right under 40. Um, so he could be, you know, that type of player also that can make the leap to, to close to 50 catches. Um and I think that's the type of guy you want to sort of yeah. pin this on is is who can be that dual threat type of player because Howard I agree with you he's he's been you know almost numbers wise not to the same level but not far off especially given the the draft discrepancy NFL draft discrepancy but Jordan Howard and Ezekiel Elliott are are, are very similar in, in what they've done through the two first two years of their careers um, from the secondary metrics and so you know. I think if Howard could be a little bit more involved in the passing game too, but I don't think that'll happen with three Cohen. So it's, it, it's really hard to sort of, you know, look at all these guys. Like if you're just going to say who has the best chance to do it, I, I would probably say Mixon just because of what his dual threat role could be. 
And he's got the pedigree. I mean, let's not forget that. Like, we know Gurley was a highly drafted prospect. He was a stud in college. Mixon was a second-round pick, but he fell because of off-field issues. He's got more pedigree than Jordan Howard, certainly, than Jarek McKinnon. But, yes, you do have to, even in a standard-scoring league, even in a non-PPR league, you do have to look at role in the passing game. It's an extra few hundred yards. It might be an extra touchdown or two. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to bring up a few draft strategies this week, and you guys are going to give draft strategies. And I wish I didn't care so much about results and I could just sort of experiment this year. Maybe I will because I don't really play. I, I'm probably going to play in, like, nine leagues. It's usually what I do. And maybe three of them will be for money and not a lot of money. So maybe I'll just sort of try different strategies and see what works. And well, I'll I'll give you an example. First off, with Mixon, you know, we get quite asked about this a lot, and I know I'm I I don't want to uh, overstep my bounds in terms of how you prepare your shows, but I'm sure once we get past all the first round guys, you'll start to expand it to putting second round guys under the microscope. Um, oh, I, I pretty much already have. Like we did Fournette okay, yesterday. Right. We're doing the borderline ones. Um, in, in terms of Mixon, we get asked about him a lot because he's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. We don't talk a lot uh, enough about they added two significant pieces to their offensive line. Yeah. And that's the same thing that happened to Gurley. Yep. Two significant pieces to the offensive line. So while he doesn't have the coaching change, he doesn't have the potential upgrade in quarterback because Jared Goff clearly took a huge step from year one to year two. I don't think Andy Dalton is making that type of leap. But the addition of Billy Price, the addition of Cordy, Cordy Glenn, that could really, really, really help this run game in a big, big way. Yeah, I, I would, I am starting to get more excited about Joe Mixon. I just wish he, I wish I had more faith in the Bengals offensively. Uh, I, I think, I just need them, they just need to be like average. Just be but look, look average. At, look at offense. what Mixon did. It, th- th- that was as bad a year as you can have for the Bengals offensively from what they were a year ago, comparatively to where they've been the last few seasons. So in the Dalton Lewis era, when everybody's been healthy. Mixon from, I think it was week three to week 11. I think he was like he averaged like nine points in non PPR. Yeah, yeah. He the problem it was, was up, he had, it was up and down, but he had only one game with more than eleven points. He had a twenty-two point game against the Browns. He had twenty-three carries in that game. Right, but that's also when they were trying to figure out what Jeremy Hill's role was and trying to figure out what Mixon could do. They really never turned him loose. I think this year they're going to turn him loose. He had four touchdowns on one hundred and seventy-eight carries. That's a pretty low rate. And, but the team was terrible. Yeah, exactly. I know. That's the thing. If I could just, if they could just be like a top 18 offense or something like that, I'd have a lot of faith in, in Joe Mixon. Off, and I'm saying this. Offen- I have, offensive line. I'm telling you. I have no idea what they finished as last year. I guess we could look that up. Uh, as we look that up, let's remind everybody about the best way to get some tickets this summer or to football games in the fall, but you need to go to a game or a concert or comedy or theater. Do what I do and use the SeatGeek app and use the promo code FFT to get 20 bucks off. So seriously, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, what do I do? Or there's there's a game out there or a concert I want to go to. Please try SeatGeek. First of all, it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find the best deals. That's how you get the best and the most bang for your buck. Every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So, again, you can use it for a whole bunch of things. I've used it for concerts. I've used it for sports all the time. I was just on the SeatGeek app yesterday looking up ticket prices for a game. You can buy your tickets on the app. Tickets can be on your phone. It's super simple. And, again, you use the code FFT. The code is FFT for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Please start using SeatGeek. You'll see what all the fuss is about. Use SeatGeek, the app or the website, and the code is FFT for 20 bucks off your first purchase. So, 
Almost done looking this up here. The Bengals. Just, just, just for one second. 20, 26 last year. Go ahead. Okay. So. In scoring. I think the, th- the three guys, and if you want to throw Jordan Howard in there, I'm fine with it. Maybe Derrick Henry also. But if, if the three guys I think that I've struggled ranking, I've seen them go almost in the same range are Mixon, Drake, and Alex Collins. They, they may be in the same range ADP wise too. I heard from someone that I trust that you could see a lot more of Frank Gore than we anticipate. Now, how long that lasts remains to be seen because he's 35. But that makes me a little bit skittish about Drake, especially since he's never been a featured guy, college or pro, until that stretch we saw last season. And remember, Adam Gase struggled to give him the featured role because of uh, which Williams is. Damien Williams. I always get confused because this, the Chiefs have signed all of them. Um, but Damien Williams. Remember at the beginning point when they traded Ajayi, how that went? Yeah, sure. So Drake makes me a little bit nervous. Not that I'm running away from him, but if I'm nitpicking, I'm nitpicking. And then we know what happened with Collins, who I loved Collins last year. And now you're having Kenneth Dixon back healthy. They still have Javoris Allen. And they could be one of the teams that signed DeMarco Murray for all we know. And so, the fumbles. Got to remember the fumbles. And the fumbles. And I don't think, you know, while he was a uh, in, in, played a role in the passing game toward the end of the season, I don't think that's necessarily what they want him to do. So I like all three guys, but if I'm looking at the three of them, I'm taking Mixon first because I think he has the best chance to be that feature type of guy. As much as they may use Giovanni Bernard, I, I think that they're going to really give Mixon the full opportunity. So, but but you're taking McKinnon over Mixon. I think McKinnon's in a better spot. Yeah. Do you think he has more upside? I do. Yeah. I yeah. But I don't, and you know, I'm saying this, but I don't know if he has that girly factor. Just because I think if Mixon hits to the level that he could hit, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Like, like McKinnon might have more realistic upside, but the best best case scenario, Mixon's probably higher than McKinnon. If, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's an that's another way to interesting way to think about it. I was gonna do some news and notes. I'll save them for tomorrow. Let's put a first round pick under the microscope. We don't think we've done Le'Veon Bell. I think we talked a lot about Bell as we talked about Todd Gurley a few weeks ago. But we've done Zeke, Gurley, Gordon, Barkley, Hunt, Fournette, Hopkins, Brown, Beckham, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas. Um, I think we did Dalvin Cook, too. Uh, nah, I think we just talked about him on Heath Sleepers, or Breakouts, rather. All right, Le'Veon Bell is 26 years old. He's entering his sixth season. We're going to try to nitpick. We're going to try to find positives and negatives. This is the bottom line with Le'Veon Bell. You can expect... 2,100 total yards or more based on his last three healthy seasons. In fact, two years ago, he was on pace for more than 2,500 total yards. So stop there for one second. If he would have gotten there, it would have been the best season in NFL history. Two years ago? Yeah. Uh, Chris Johnson has the best in NFL history with 2,509 total yards in 2009. And Bell would have beaten him with 2,511. <laughs> that was amazing. Now, last year, he was on pace for about 20 – oh, no, he had 15 games. And so he had about 1,800 yards, I think. Um, last year he was on pace for 2,075 if he had played 16 games. He was a, he had 1,946 total yards last year. All right, so total yards machine, not exactly a touchdown machine, usually around 10 to 12 total touchdowns a year. For whatever reason, the guy just doesn't get that many carries inside the five-yard line. I went back, I looked at each of his last three healthy seasons, three of his last four years. It's the strangest thing. Usually gets about six carries inside the five all year and has not had 10 rushing touchdowns in a season. It's very weird. But you know what you're getting. You're getting great production. Um, he has finished number two in non-PPR, number one in PPR in 2014, 
He was top five in 2016, fifth in non-PPR, third in PPR, but he only played 12 games. And last year, Le'Veon Bell was, uh, oh gosh, well, I don't have that. How, how could I not have that? He was number two last year in, in both formats. In both Ty formats. Gurley. I have two cool yeah. stats for you. So he's four yards shy of 8,000 total yards for his career. If he gets those four yards in his next game, which we hopefully will be week one, it would be the 63rd career game of his career that he's gotten to 8,000 total yards. It's the fastest player in NFL history to reach that milestone. Eric Dickerson is the fastest at 64 games for 8,000 total yards. So clearly he's been a monster, like you said, total yards. And I think you you, you mentioned this um, in – you phrased it one way. I'll phrase it a different way. So every time he's played 12 games, at least 12 games, he rolls out of bed 1,400 total yards and eight touchdowns. Yeah, it's the amazing. Past, that, the past three times he's done that, though, 1,800 total yards and nine touchdowns. 12, 12 or more games. 12 or more games. Now, the thing is, you know, Todd Gurley had like 19 total touchdowns last year. When these guys have their big years, they get close to 20 total touchdowns. Bell's not, has not been that guy, but he could be. I mean, there's no reason, there's no, it's like Julio Jones almost. So you gotta feel like there's more touchdown potential with the amount of touches that he gets. So let me, let me talk about the one thing that I could see going wrong for him, Jamie. He, I'm the yards per carry guy. He averaged four yards per carry last year. He had only three carries of more than 20, 20 or more yards. Oddly enough, he had only four of those carries in 2016 when he had a great yards per carry. The training camp holdout. He held out of training camp last year. Le'Veon Bell, it looks like they're trending that way again this year if they can't get to a long-term agreement. Did that make him a less effective runner? Does that even matter? Because he he was significantly worse than Todd Gurley last year. He was 63 points worse in non-PPR and like 42 points worse in PPR, something like that. Yeah, it's exactly what it was. So the training camp holdout is Pretty much the only negative I can see with with Le'Veon Bell, who is clearly a top three pick, if not number one. I think it's it hurt him in the beginning of the season. You know, I'm I'm going to look at his game log right now, and and I think if you look at you know like we were just talking about with with Mark Ingram, you know, at what point in the season did Le'Veon really get going? And so you know, early in the season at Cleveland, week one, if you were to say Le'Veon Bell versus the Browns. 10 for 32 and 3 for 15. <laughs> yeah. that, that's not him. No. Then he goes to face Minnesota, which you would think, okay, tough run defense, which they were last year. 27 for 87. He grinded his way to, you know, okay production. 4 for 4, catching the ball. Still not what you expect. Week 3 against Chicago. 15 for 61, finally finds the end zone. 6 for 37. Okay, he's finding his groove a little bit, almost 100 total yards. And then we get to Baltimore week 4, and this is why you draft Le'Veon Bell. 35 for 144 and two touchdowns, four for 42. He had a fumble in that game, didn't lose it, but still, that's the guy you're expecting when you're drafting first or second overall. Now, he didn't follow it up against Jacksonville, but 10 catches in that game. That's Le'Veon Bell. So he's not getting the job done running the ball. That was such a bad game for the Steelers. That was, uh, Roethlisberger threw like five picks that game or something. They scored, they scored nine points. Yeah. And yes, Roethlisberger was miserable in a home game against Jacksonville, but he still found his way to 80, uh, excuse me, 93 total yards. 10 catches, so was a star in PPR, and then follows that up with, again, Le'Veon Bell-type numbers, 179 against against Kansas City, 134 against Cincinnati. So it took him some time to get his feet under him because missing training camp, missing the preseason, not necessarily in game shape, and then you saw what he's capable of. So if your play is, I really want Le'Veon Bell on my team, but I'm not picking one or two, you want to hope that this happens again 
and you maybe overpay a little bit for what the numbers are, but you know you're overpaying for somebody that could be special in the second half of the season or the, you know, from that week four or five point on, given what he did a year ago. Is there anything that scares you about Le'Veon Bell other than maybe a slow start? No. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, why, there's why the injury there risk. <laughs> yeah, huh? injury risk. Yeah, I'm saying, like, why would there be anything? There's injury risk. He did before last year when he stayed healthy. He had finished three straight seasons injured. Roethlisberger's always an injury risk. That could hurt him. But how, how do you rank him overall? I have two in both formats. You know, I, I certainly understand the the want to take him one overall in PPR. I think Heath has that, at least of the, the three of us. He's the only one that does it. Um, I, I just think that, you know, the, the Rams are, are trending in the right direction. And not that the Steelers aren't, but, you know, I, I just think that Gurley being a couple years younger, being from that, you know, week one, ready to go, no, no issues. And, you know, you just wonder if the Steelers do piss him off at some point, does the holdout linger maybe into the beginning part of the season? We'll, we'll clearly address that before the majority of drafts. But, you know, if you're doing a startup dynasty right now, I, I don't think there's any question you're taking Gurley ahead of him. And it's just a matter of like, at what point does, does Le'Veon go? Because, if, in a dynasty if he, league, you're talking about. In a dynasty league, yeah, right. because you know you you have to wonder where is he playing next year. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you're taking Gurley ahead of him. I'd take Zeke ahead of him. Uh, in I'd dynasty. I yeah, in dynasty. I'd oh probably, yeah, I would take Barkley ahead of him. I'd too. take Barkley ahead of him, and then probably Beckham. And no, Hop- I'd take David Johnson too. Okay, yeah, Beckham and Hopkins could go ahead of him. Mm-hmm. I think Le'Veon might be like the sixth or seventh pick in a dynasty league. Uh, yeah, he's still first, first, first round, still top ten, but. You know, it depends on your mentality. You know, do you want to win now or do you want to win, um, you know, now and two or three years from now? And so that's when you start to nitpick and maybe Kareem Hunt too. I, I think the other part of this with Le'Veon is who's the backup in Pittsburgh because, you know, we, we've seen that player get drafted from time to time. We've seen that guy certainly be a little bit relevant. Um, I, I think right now Fitzgerald Toussaint could be the one, which is not fun. Uh, Stephen Ridley is another one. But the one that I'm excited about is is uh, Jalen Samuels, who's a you know not necessarily a, a pure running back. I believe he played tight end in college, hmm. or high you know H back in college. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and, and he might be somebody worth handcuffing because you know they they do like was it a couple years ago? Not a very good running back filled in for Le'Veon Bell. Did pretty D'Angelo Williams. Yeah. Oh, D'Angelo's great. He was so good for fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, James Conner also. I, I, James I Conner. Yeah. So hopefully he he gets his act together because he wasn't great last year. All righty, let's uh, let's regulate. So we're gonna listen to some regulators. We're gonna listen to some voicemails. See if we have time for emails. If not, we'll have at least two more shows this week. We'll have plenty of time to listen to your questions. All right, Jamie, get your regulating hat on. And there we go. Regulating is in session. Uh, let's start with Scott. Scott's in a keeper league. He had a team quit, and he's having a hard time filling the last spot. $150 league, his only good keeper is Diggs for an 11th round pick. Oh, yeah. This team also has the last pick in the draft, so you've got to take over a crappy team with one good keeper, the last pick in the draft, and it's a $150 buy-in. The other members in my league can't agree on what to do to make the last spot more desirable. Should we give them another keeper? And if so, how good of a player should we give them? And what round? Maybe discount the league fee? Any ideas would be great. Well, I, I think the first question I have is, did, did the guy win and leave the league if he's picking last? I don't know, but I, I doubt it <laughs> based on his crappy keeper. Well, I mean, could. You know, somebody somebody could, 
you know, have, have one and just not have good, you know, we don't know what the keeper rules are. It could be you're only allowed to keep players for a certain number of years. Could not only allow to keep players past a certain round. Um, I would, I would love Diggs in the 11th round. Yeah, but uh, that's only one good bad. keeper. What do you do? Uh, I, it's not fair to, for, for this, this person's well, not going to be how many keepers they're allowed to have. No, it doesn't. So, so this, they are trying to fill the last spot of their keeper league, $150 buy-in, bad team, drafting last. Right. What do you do so, to incentivize someone to join? I think the first thing I would do is maybe have a supplemental draft, you know, for the, the new owner. So if they're allowed to keep multiple players, let's assume that that's the case based on what the, the sort of the tone of the email is. Um, uh, saying that the only good keeper is Diggs, um, because if it was just a one keeper league, Diggs is fine. So if you're allowed to keep multiple players, what I would do is, let's say they, everybody's allowed to keep two or three. Let those guys lock in their three keepers and then let this new owner through the only, he's the only one that's allowed to do the supplemental draft before everybody goes back in the player pool. Let him take the two best non-keepers. Mm, I like that. I like that. So, or, or the, or the one best non-keeper, you know, depending on how many they keep. So then that makes it a little bit better. So he has the chance to, let's say, you know, somebody had Camara, Hunt, blah, 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 and, and they can't keep all those guys. So he has that chance. And uh, look, picking 12 is not necessarily a bad thing in a snake draft. Yeah. All right. Well, consider that one regulated. Next up, Jake from Detroit has a situation that needs regulation. At the beginning of last season, myself and two other owners decided to make a side bet on who would finish with the best regular season record. The last place team of the three would have to drink a beer from a boot. Ugh. I happen to have lost this bet, and I do intend on following through with my obligations to chug beer out of an old boot. Uh, I, uh, because that's the right thing to do, obviously. My hang up is that t- the two other teams did not have the league dues paid before the start of the playoffs, which as commish was annoying to me, but also they're placing bets on the season without buying in. I feel that going forward they should be fully paid up before enforcing any side bets in the future. Um, it's interesting that you have to give an answer on somebody paying off a bet completely. And it's interesting that you have to give an answer on a commissioner forcing its league, his league members to pay up, which is not your strength. No, not my strength, but they always eventually pay up. You, however, don't fulfill your end of the bet. Look, the time. I'm not vomiting on the air, so I just, I just won't do that. I won't. You could have done it off the air. You didn't necessarily make that offer or gesture. I'm afraid to vomit. I'm sorry. I have vomit, well, okay, so vomophobia. You're, you're welching on a bet. Uh, I agree that they should pay their dues, and next time you need to be a little bit more more strict with them. Hey, you want me to drink from a boot? Better pay up, buddy. That's what I would do. Honestly, like, that's good enough for me. Been regulated. Alright, last one. Nick in a small northeastern Ohio town. We'll have to ask Dave. My league has always been a non-PPR league for the fast, for the past five years. Now there's talk about moving to half PPR, and I feel I have too little time to prepare myself. I may sound crazy, but I actually feel better playing in standard. It's not only do I feel more prepared, but I feel the league would be more competitive as there are only two or three people who actually prepare in our league with me being one of them. What format should my league use? So they voted to go to half PPR? I don't know if they voted. It just seems like there's some talk about it. He doesn't want this because he thinks it requires preparation. Not that many people in the league will put in the work, and he thinks it will hurt the competitiveness of the league. I don't think uh, so. I think you're overthinking it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think right? so too. Uh, it, it, there's really not that dramatic difference in that scoring. Preach. You know, you, huh? Preach. Yeah, it's regulate. Just, <laughs> um, I, I don't think you have a uh, 
too much to worry about. Go You'll to Happy BR. Happy BR is better. It's the best. Do it. Yes. Enjoy the best format. I think you and I will be competing in the half PPR flex league. Not yeah. That's that's the word. I'm sorry, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to Nate Dog Warren Tree. And I'm gonna listen to our voicemails at 954-689-3199. 954-689-3199. Bear with us. First one here is from a youngster. We like uh when kids get into fantasy football, so we're gonna hear his question. And uh, not don't know if we'll get to emails today. Might just save them for tomorrow. We'll do a lot of emails tomorrow. All right, Jamie, let's get it started here. This is Tommy from Denver. This is not a youngster. A weird question. I feel gross even asking My bad. it. I'm in a league where our defenses score as much as quarterbacks. And I looked, and last year the Jaguars actually were only outscored by any player. The only player that outscored them was Russell Wilson. Having said that, I'm in a keeper league. You keep one player. The middle rounds start to get kind of shallow. looks like most years defense goes for the first time in the sixth round or seventh round on average. I'm wondering in a case where a dominant defense can be just as good as the best quarterback, is it worth taking the Jaguars in the fifth round? The difference between the quarterback 1 and 12 was 110 points. The difference between the defense 1 and 12 was 130 points. Tell me if I'm crazy. Love you guys. Bye. We love you too. Thank you, Tommy. He probably said that. He was like, oh crap, I wish I didn't say I love love you. Excuse me, Jamie. Um, yeah, so defense is rule here. When would you take uh, the number one defense? So I'm in a similar dilemma where I have uh, a keeper league where I have to keep – I keep four players or four, four keepers, and they don't kick in until round 13. Um, it's a PPR league. As of now, my plan is to keep DeAndre Hopkins, Julian Edelman, Jarvis Landry, and Allen Robinson. But the fifth option is the Jaguars defense. And I also think if I don't keep the Jaguars defense, the keepers don't start until round eight. So how early do I want to take the Jags defense knowing I have those four receivers locked up from round 13 on? And so in this case, given the fact that there are keeper ramifications, I would look at the Jaguars defense, I don't know, round five, but maybe round seven, six or seven. Um, I think it depends on your scenario. And if, if you're so inclined to, you know, draft it. I saw we got one email. Uh, I forget what it was about, but somebody drafting just their starters right away. Yeah. And um, always winning. And, and, or I, I don't know if it was always winning, but always having success and making the playoffs. We, we've seen some turnover from the number one defense the last couple of years. Everybody was, was all in on the Seahawks and, and we've seen them fall apart a little bit. The Broncos, same thing. They've fallen apart a little bit. Um, the, the one thing about the Jags from a year ago is, well, it's twofold is nobody got hurt on that side of the ball of significance. And they benefited with Deshaun Watson only playing seven games and Andrew Luck missing the entire season. So mm-hmm. two premier quarterbacks in their division. So while I still think they'll be the best defense, I still think they're worth drafting as the first defense. It's drafting them early and sacrificing some talent at the other spots, clearly at the running back or wide receiver position. So, you know, if you walk into a situation like, like in my case where you have talent and you can sort of maybe bypass a fourth keeper or a third keeper, you know, whatever the, the situation may be, um, or you just have really good value late, I think it's worth taking a shot on them a little bit earlier. But I still think the earliest I would look at them in most cases, this this not necessarily being one from um, the guy who loves us. Um, Tommy. It, 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 Tommy. Uh, sorry, Tommy. I love you too. Um, <laughs> is, uh, you know, maybe maybe that round eight range. Yeah, uh, the other thing about the Jaguars DST, well, the good news is one of their games against Houston is in week 17. But outside of their division, they are playing potentially three of the best offenses in the NFL. 
Patriots, Chiefs, and Steelers. So they will have a tougher schedule this year for sure. All right, now. The, Patri- the Patriots played well against them. The Steelers lit them up in the last two playoffs. Yes. But they are also like a young, young defense just getting better. They could be the next version of the Seahawks or the Broncos for sure. Right, but but a Miles Jack injury or a Jalen Ramsey injury, and you don't know what this team could look like. A Defensive Ramsey line should be great because there's injury. so many guys. Yeah, a Jalen Ramsey injury could hurt because they lost their slot cornerback too, but their front set. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But injury, injury, you never. All right, uh, let's. this is our youngster, Lucas. Hey, guys, this is Lucas from San Francisco, and I was wondering about the first overall draft pick in fantasy leagues. Lately, I've been seeing Bell and Gurley go first, and I was wondering why Zeke Elliott wasn't in the conversation. Um, Dallas' number one wide receiver is Alan Hearns, which means Zeke Elliott is bound to get 400-plus targets, at least. And this really has me wondering why he is behind Bell and Gurley. Thank you. Goodbye. So, yeah, I think he was trying to say Zeke should get 400-plus touches, uh, not targets, but good, good voicemail, Lucas. Good point. You know, this time last year, Ezekiel Elliott certainly was in play as the number one player. Uh, I don't know that anyone's doing that, but three certainly seems realistic. Jamie, should we be talking more about Zeke at number one overall? I would also extend the conversation to David Johnson. We we could talk about that another time because what he did in 2016 when he was healthy. But um, obviously Elliott's track record is amazing. Um, he's played, I think it's 25 games in his career and 21 of them. I have it right in front of me here. Yeah, 25 games. He scored double digits of fantasy points in a non-PPR league 24 times. Um, of, he has at least 20 touches in 21 games of those 25. So the workload is there. And as uh, Justin, you said his name was? Um, uh, Lucas. Lucas, I'm sorry. As Lucas uh, alluded to, with their receiving core being what it is, that his role in the passing game should step up and go back to the conversation about Gurley. That really helped Gurley last year. It should help Elliott this year. You know, so where he was right around a 30 catch guy, um, his, his rookie season, 32 catches last year, I think he was on pace for like 38. He should be 45 catches, maybe 50 catches. So let me, let me speed you up just cause we're running out of time a little bit. Is it crazy to take Ezekiel Elliott number one? It's not crazy, but you know, you're, you're passing on two guys that I think have a little bit of a higher ceiling. All right, let's go to our next voicemail here. Hi, guys. just want to tell you guys you have the best podcast there is in all of the land because you guys are genuinely good guys. You care about each other, and you're all funny. You guys could all be comedians in your own right. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is Seth from a town on the north shore of Lake Tahoe. Good luck with this one, Dave. I'm in a half-point PPR, 12-team lead. I've got Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas, and I've got Keenan the Devil. Mr. McCafferty, one of my league uh, enemies, he wants McCafferty and either Thomas or Allen for Doug Baldwin and Jarek McKinnon. Um, I know what Dane would do in this situation because you're in love with Mr. McKinnon, but what would the rest of you guys do? I don't think you know what Jamie would do. First of all, very nice voicemail. We are all very funny, aren't we? We're, yeah, we but the, nice? the first I don't know part about nice. that, though, I, I hate the three of you. <laughs> exactly. No, we're not that funny. Um, thank you so much for the voicemail. I don't know that, you, that you're going to be right about this. I don't think Jamie would make this trade, giving up Keenan Allen or Michael Thomas plus Christian McCaffrey for Baldwin and McKinnon. I think your enemy is trying to rip you off, buddy. No way you make this trade. Yeah. No way. I mean, if you were to, if you were to say that there's a different receiver coming back to you, but it's got to be Hopkins. Brown, yeah, Julio, or Beckham. I forgot what the format was, but 
do you like McCaffrey or McKinnon better in standard half PPR PPR? Uh, everything but PPR, I like McKinnon better because while I think McKinnon could be a seventy catch guy, I've seen McCaffrey catch eighty passes. Yeah. So I don't think that that will change. So I like McCaffrey better in PPR, but in the other two formats, I think McKinnon is better. He may not be safer, but I think he's better. And I think Keenan Allen's got top five potential. So uh, while Doug Baldwin should be great with Seattle's offense maybe changing a little bit or becoming a little bit more pass-reliant, while I know they're trying to be better at the run, I think we've seen how that's gone. Um, Keenan Allen is, is in a different level when he's playing at his best compared to what Doug Baldwin's playing at his best. And Michael Thomas, too. Uh, and Michael Thomas, too, yeah. One more real quick here. What up, guys? This is Dave calling you from Salt Lake City. This is a redraft league half-point PPR. I would like to know if you think this is a fair trade. I was offered Joe Mixon and Sonny Michelle for Devonta Freeman. Appreciate the help. I'm listening to you guys all the time. Peace out. Mixon and Michelle for Devonta Freeman. He would get Mixon and Michelle half PPR. Did he say dynasty? No, it's no, redraft. He, he said redraft. redraft. He did say redraft. Um, I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna really, keep... yeah. yeah. Interesting. Because I, I like to see what Michelle could be, and I think that Mixon may not be far off from Freeman. Okay. Wait. So, I mean, wait, if wait. you have enough depth. Wait, 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 wait. So which side would you rather have? I'd rather have the two running backs. Oh, so you're gonna accept? He has Freeman. I'm pretty sure he's getting okay. Mixon and Michelle. Okay. Well, whatever it works out, I'd rather have the two running backs, unless you have. A lot of depth already. You don't really need the. That's why I was so surprised because I thought you were going to take the two. I thought you were going to take the two running backs side. I am. Yeah, yeah. That's why because well, no. Originally I thought that. Then when you gave your answer, I thought you were leaning towards Freeman. I was like, really? But no, we're on the same page. I, I, I would again, unless you like Freeman's the best player, but I don't think it's by much. Right. Right. So yeah, make the trade, get the two running backs, give up Freeman, get Mixon and Michelle. Thanks for your for vo- your, your voicemails, your emails, your regulations. We'll read some standard emails tomorrow and talk hopefully to Danny Cannell tomorrow. And Dave Richard will be back from Europe, so we get to hear about that. Jamie, thanks for coming in on your day off. We appreciate it. My pleasure. See you later. Bye. It's all right.